but Kasdan put his foot down when it came to shaving it off. He's keeping the damn mustache, I swear to God. (laughs) Hi, and welcome to episode of Center Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Center Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. On today's episode, we are continuing our month of neo-noir films with Lawrence Kasdan's Body Heat. Before we dive into that, Thomas, can you give everyone a recap of what we talked about last week regarding the neo-noir genre? Yeah, so what we're talking about here are films that take a lot of the story tropes that we're familiar with from our noir films, especially our Noir Vember series uh, from two months ago, and updating it with more modern styles, uh, both storytelling and visually. So a lot of these films are going to be playing with these detective styles that we're familiar with, these crime movies, but they're going to be giving us an updated version of just filmmaking in general, updated scripts, updated storytelling, updated uh, camera work, uh, and not necessarily all at the same time, but that's what this genre is really about, is taking the, the beats, the tropes, the things that we're familiar with, and then and then putting more of a modern spin on it. Last week... We talked about The Long Goodbye and specifically how it moved away from the German Expressionism style of film noir and and brought the story into the sunlight um, of Los Angeles. And and also from a more storytelling point of view, took on Robert Altman's more dreamlike style of just kind of flowing dialogue on top of each other. Um, Especially we talked about taking that uh, kind of standard detective voiceover and instead making it this... Uh, just very dreamlike monologue that uh, the character of Marlowe always has with himself. He's just kind of speaking out loud to mm-hmm. himself throughout. Yeah, and with Marlowe, again, taking a, a a central 1940s or 50s character, or even 1930s to probably some of the novels, and putting it in a complete modern context, or in, this, in the case of Long Goodbye, literally taking that character and using the current current world to challenge that character's like inherent views Mm -hmm. of the world and with today with body heat it's it's it is again kind of taking those character idea or the character archetypes and the tropes that you saw in those 1940s and 50s noir films and and i this one this one's a little bit more it is a modern context but this one really is wearing its influences on its sleeve mm-hmm. with with body heat and we'll probably talk about that today um but it's a ve- but yeah with noir with neo-noir it's the big thing that i keep always saying and harping on is the idea of taking the old ways and uh putting it through this kind of modern context and this modern way of viewing it that everyone everyone sometimes kind of feels like oh we can just make the make the cinematography shadowy and add a bag of money and add this and then we got noir but a, a really great example of neo-noir is one that can able to take those old tropes put a spin on it and make it um, make it feel like a modern film in some way mm-hmm. but with body heat i'll let you get into it because body heat is feels a little it it, it borders it, it, it toes the line of those things we're talking about if that makes mm-hmm. sense like it is modern but like i said it really much more so than long goodbye really leans into the the style uh of the 40s noir yeah so body heat was our film this week uh 1981 
film. It's uh, currently available to rent on any streaming site. It's not really free anywhere, but... Uh, it was on HBO Max at one point. Yeah, I, I think, think it was on Turner Classic Movies Collection when they first dropped, but it's, it's moved around. You know, these streaming sites are fickle. Um, yep. Yeah, real brief plot intro, and there will be spoilers in this episode. Uh, just a warning. But during the hottest summer in a small Florida town, uh, womanizing lawyer Ned Racine seduces an alluring married woman named Maddie Walker. As their affair smolders in the Florida humidity, the two decide to murder Maddie's cruel husband and inherit his wealth. As far as the cast goes, this is a really interesting movie. This is uh, William Hurt's third movie, Kathleen Turner's first film credit ever, uh, Ted Danson's second movie ever, and Mickey Rourke's fourth film credit. Yeah, and Mickey Rourke probably pre this is just like literally cami like like just as an extra like in the background. Like I think he's in 1941, the Spielberg mm-hmm. movie, and like I couldn't even tell you where he's yeah, at. Yeah, the only the only one he's got a very small role in Heaven's Gate, which was uh yes, like a, a year that's before right this. before this. Uh and then the film was written and directed by Lawrence Kasdan. It was his directorial debut. He had made a name for himself in the late 70s for writing for George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Uh, just a couple other crew that I wanted to point out. John Barry uh, was the composer for this movie, who you might know for composing the theme for James Bond. Uh, and just another one I, I felt was was fun looking through the crew on IMDb. Um, Jeffrey Chernoff was the second AD on this film uh, before he would eventually go on to be the VP of production for Disney for a long time and is still well, a uh, very prolific producer. Uh, today who would have thought i didn't know that be nice to your second ad's folks you never know when they might yeah. become power players that they could be running the world who knows uh so brandon you literally just finished watching this i literally just finished watching uh, for the second time yeah. in my life uh i think i watched body heat a a few years ago for the first time and i loved it and i still love it i uh i think the cast is uh superb uh every kind of what i think is so interesting with this movie is because is with noir films you you have your two like your heavy handers your two leads and those are usually kind of your best written characters and what i think is was underrated about this movie is i and i think and they talked about in the reviews we kind of read for this episode is the supporting characters feel like probably the most like just i guess um like layered and like just like memorable performances to me yeah. at least for 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 me just like with ted danson and mickey rourke and we'll talk about as we keep going but like kazan really shapes the world in a nice way from the setting to the characters like it's just it's a very it's kind of pitch perfect and in terms of like its tone and setting uh of the film with the with the humid hot florida weather like it, it very much nails i think ebert talked about was you how like it's ebert talked about in his review how it's one of the few films that really nails weather yeah specifically the atmosphere in this movie is perfect but yeah i i i enjoy it the second time i had i i noticed more stuff that that i think is a little not problematic but flawed and some of the reviews we you sent me talk about it and we'll get into it later but i i do think this is still like a prime example and a great example of the neo-noir yeah genre what about what about you what about you no i i, I agree i am a huge lawrence Kasdan fan i i love mm-hmm. him as a as a writer as a filmmaker and yeah there are some flaws here and, and you know I'm, I'm someone who loves early work from directors i think that's one of the most fascinating yeah. things is to go back and watch uh early work from directors especially because they're oftentimes so rough 
And this one is yeah. so polished. I mean, there there are some, no, some, very much some so. cracks that, yeah. that show through, but for a first time director, it's kind of insane. And, uh, yeah. and, and yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in this movie, especially that, like I said, the cast, um, and we'll get into kind of how that cast came about, but, um, and it's, it's a, it's a movie that it is a neo-noir, but it also kind of launched the like erotic thriller genre of the eighties. Um, and so it's, it's yes. really fun to kind of go back and watch the beginning of this and, and to know how scandalous this movie was just to know like what was coming like the scandal was just going to get get higher and higher oh, yeah. as the decade went on. Yeah, Brian De Palma's like in the in the mix here, guys. Brian De Palma's gonna be coming up with Body Double, I think, around a few years yeah. afterwards. Now, I want to bring up the thing you said about Cass and him as being his first movie. I feel like a, a big reason why it doesn't feel like his first movie is because the cast is so good, and the cast went on to do so much more after the film, mm-hmm. like. And when you look at like even even um was it J J A uh, Preston, Preston? Yeah. like even him like he pops up in a bunch of stuff as a supporting ca- character actor like for I mean for decades, um he's a ju- was he's a judge in something I feel in a movie, uh I'll come back to it but yeah it's like just the cast is so well rounded that it makes you feel like this is a uh a director who's been working for a while putting together this very talented all-star cast. Let's get into how it got made. Cause it's really it's kind of a cool story getting that. Yeah. Cast I, I know. I, I know a little bit, but not much. Well, I'm also going to throw this at you. Normally we reserve this for our director episodes, but not a lot of people know Lawrence Kasten's background. So we're going to, we're going to go a little bit into uh, his, his bio as well. Yeah. Uh, so Lawrence Kasten was born in Miami beach, Florida, 1949. Oh, uh, did not know that actually. <laughs> Uh, he was raised uh, at some point in his childhood. They, his family moved to Morgan, Morgantown, West Virginia. Um, his family struggled financially. Both of his parents were failed writers. And his dad died when he was 14. His mother moved around jobs constantly while working on a self-help book that she never published. But he credits both of his parents for kind of inspiring him to become a writer, but also giving him an idea of how difficult it was. Um, he also said with not much money and few options for entertainment and in his hometown, he became obsessed with the local movie theater. And he said it was, it was such a small movie theater. You could call up and say, Hey, when's the next screening starting? And they would say, well, 15 minutes. But if you can, if you let me know when you're going to be here, we'll hold it for you. <laughs> uh, oh man, that is a small town. <laughs> so after graduating high school, Casson applied to university of Mich- Michigan, where he knew that Arthur Miller had paid mm-hmm. his way through school through winning the college's yearly writing competition. He specifically mm-hmm. wanted to go to that school to enter that competition and to study under Kenneth Rowe, who had been Arthur Miller's professor and was still there. So he studied under yeah. Rowe, and he won that prize all four years of school, paying for his entire education with his winnings. Dang. Uh, and and, and for, for those that don't know, Arthur Miller, famous playwright, Death of a Salesman, um, The Crucible, all yeah. that. Uh, after school, he immediately applied to ucla to get his master's in screenwriting briefly moved to los angeles and hated it and okay. moved back to ann arbor and got his master's at back at university of michigan in education he tried to teach high school english while he wrote scripts to send off to los angeles but was unable to find any teaching jobs he once joked it was easier for him to get directing jobs later in life than it had been to get teaching jobs right out of grad school <laughs> That's funny. Eventually, he got a job copywriting for an ad agency in Detroit. He excelled in the business, but hated it. 
uh, won a ton of awards in his time working there, but uh, but never never enjoyed it. But uh, after five years of av- working in advertising and writing scripts at night and sending them off to agencies. In 1975, his sixth completed script about a female singer who falls in love with her bodyguard yeah. got him an agent. He moved to an advertising position in L.A. and started shopping the script around, which was rejected 67 times before Warner Brothers bought The Bodyguard in 1977. Wow. I didn't know. I Because I, it doesn't get made till the early 90s. Yeah, 92. I didn't, I didn't know it got turned down that many times yeah. in the 70s alone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, but after selling The Bodyguard, Casson started shopping around a romantic comedy script called The Continental Divide that he had intended as a Tracy Hepburn type of uh, screwball comedy. Which, I love that movie, by the way. I want to pre- say that right now. I-, I don't know if you know that. I was actually talking about this movie with my dad last night. Because uh, Michael Apted, who directed that film, just passed away recently, or uh, as of yesterday. Uh, and it's a, it's a really... It's not great... But it's a it's a different turn for John Belushi mm-hmm. uh, in the lead role. But I enjoy it. Continue. Sorry, yeah. I just wanted to. But uh, so that script got him in the door to meet Steven Spielberg, who loved the script and asked Universal to buy it for him to produce. Um, upon hearing that Spielberg was interested, the script launched a bidding war between the studios, and Casson's name was officially on the map. Spielberg's enthusiasm for Continental Divide led him to invite Lawrence Kasdan to the now-famous brainstorming session between Spielberg, George Lucas, and Frank Marshall, where they all sat down with a basic idea from George Lucas to make an updated adventure serial and hashed out the entirety of Raiders of the Lost Ark all on tape. Man, I, I want to go back to it, but Continental Divide, that's what launched Amblin. Mm-hmm. That's, that was Spielberg's first like producer credit yep. was that movie. And so that okay, that I could see why that would lead him like, yo, come in and sit for this Raiders Lost Ark meeting. Yep, yep. Philip Kaufman. You can, and, find, um, you, you can you can find you can find that online, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all like it's the, all yeah. written down. You can read the whole thing. Um, yeah. They had a very brief mm-hmm. meeting beforehand where Philip Kaufman was there as well, who had come up with some of the mm-hmm. basic stuff with Lucas. Uh, but then uh, Spielberg, Lucas, and Kasdan sat down after that, ran a tape recorder, and basically wrote all of Raiders just based off of this idea that there was going to be a guy who's going to wear a hat and have a whip. He's going to be named after George Lucas's dog. And he was going to go after the Ark of the Covenant, which was Philip Kaufman's idea. Okay. Wow. So, and is, so is M- the empire happen after that? Yeah. So, or? so while they're working on yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, George Lucas is also having problems with another big script. He's got in the works. Lee Brackett, who we discussed last week, who wrote the long goodbye um, had passed away while working on the sequel to Star Wars. Lucas had tried to finish off the script himself, but wasn't happy with his dialogue. Lucas was never a big fan of writing dialogue. He's he's admitted it many times. No, yep. really? Yep. And um, he said he his work just wasn't cutting it. So when Kasdan came by his office to drop off uh-huh. the first... I respect show, that he, he realized yeah. that. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. When Kasdan came by his office to drop off the first script of Raiders... Lucas handed him Empire Strikes Back and asked him to finish it. Kasten said, but you haven't even read Raiders yet. Lucas said, if I hate Raiders, I'll call you up tomorrow and cancel this whole thing. But basically, I get a feeling about people. <laughs> wow. So Kasten ended up writing the version of Empire Strikes Back that was made, uh, that was put into production. And so with Raiders and Empire both in production, Kasten had enough clout in Hollywood to try and get his own project off the ground. He brought his script for Body Heat, which was his updated take on a 1940s noir film. 
to Alan Ladd Jr., who was head of Fox at the time and a good friend of George Lucas. Alan Ladd Jr. was the one who kind of championed Star Wars um, to get it made. And Alan Ladd's father, Alan Ladd, was a big actor that did a couple of noirs back in the day Mm -hmm. as well. So Ladd, kind of knowing Lucas and knowing the work Kasdan was doing as far as Empire, bought the script, but he actually left Fox soon after to start the Ladd Company. And the execs who succeeded Ladd did not like Body Heat. And they really didn't like that Kasdan insisted on hiring only unknown actors because he didn't want, he said he didn't want anybody to have any preconceived notions of any of the actors that came into this role. So they, uh, they eventually, they, they stuck with them through some of the casting process, but eventually put the project into turnaround and turnaround being, uh, a couple things you could sell, sell it off to another studio to get your money back that you've spent developing it. Or it's just saying we're starting over completely, which usually means it won't get made mm. at that company. But up until that point, Kasdan had already gotten pretty deep into the casting. He entered the project with William Hurt in mind because William Hurt had, had only done two movies, but one was Ken Russell's Altered States. And and yeah. Kasdan was a huge fan of that. Um, his other was Eyewitness with Sigourney Weaver, which is... I think we've, we've talked about that recently, haven't we? we? We I don't know if we've talked about it, but it's one that's been on my watch list for a while because I think P- director Peter Yates did mm-hmm. it. Uh, and because it deals with media and journalism and stuff, we have been talking about that of late just in our like private conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, he started kind of having open auditions for all other parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, an actress named Kathleen Turner was currently working on Broadway. She only had a role on the soap opera The Doctors for, as far as her screen resume went, period. So she, uh, <laughs> she tried to get an audition in New York and wasn't even granted an audition slot um man Kasdan wanted unknowns but he didn't want that unknown i guess <laughs> oh, no. um, but four months later she was at an audition already in la and heard there were auditions again for body heat tried to get in again she came in and read and lawrence Kasdan told her that was the first time he had ever heard maddie's voice in his head out loud and mm. from then on she had the part uh coincidentally ted Z- ted danson and kim zimmer who played marianne both also were from the soap opera the doctors <laughs> there who else was on the show three cast members from the doctors came on to make this film um so while the project was in turnaround lad seeing the script that he had already bought stalling back at his old company was interested in getting it back but he said if his new company was going to take a shot on Kasdan as a first-time director he needed someone on board to back Kasdan up Lucas, George Lucas, had just launched Lucasfilm, and he loved Body Heat, but he was working very hard to create his image as a family-friendly filmmaker. So he offered to come on as an uncredited producer to keep his image clean of the very racy film, and uh, and staked his producer fee for any overages that the film might face. Yeah, I I, I respect because I, I knew Lucas. I'd heard Lucas did this, and I respect people of that have that clout. They're one go, hey. Don't put my name on it, but if you need me to help this person out, give me a call. Because I know he did it with Kasdan. Another person that comes to mind is Mel Brooks with David Lynch. Because mm-hmm. Mel Brooks gave David Lynch his first kind of mainstream shot. Uh, and you gotta respect the hell out of that. Yeah. So with Lucas on board, Ladd bought the script back from Fox. And production started on it. Okay. So, Brandon, it's fresh in mind. Give me some give me some favorite favorite scenes of yours. I mean, right out of the right out of the gate, when they first meet, 
like when they first when, when when William Hurt when Ned and Maddie first meet on the pier like by the beach, it's just like the the chemistry. It's just like every, it's palpable. Mm. Like like they it's everything everything just works about that scene of the when she's or um what's the line that she has about like uh uh i'm not that smart i'm not not that smart of a man he's like i like it that way or whatever she says it's the the, they they just have great um banter back and forth and he i i I marked this down when i was watching it of how like in that scene the characters are really listening to what the others are saying Mm -hmm. and i know that sounds very kind of elementary uh in terms of acting and and how to write a script but they reference like she'll, she'll she'll say one thing. They'll keep going two minutes later, and then and then William Hurt has a callback to something she said earlier in the scene. Mm-hmm. It's like they're very attentive and and listening to what each other is saying. Well, he's got that. Just, uh, he's got that. His opener when he come, he sees her standing kind of away from this concert out out on the pier. Oh yeah, let's not talk about the weather. Yeah, he said what, you, he, he, he walks up to her and says, "You can stand here with me if you want, but you have to agree not to bring up the heat." and and yeah. she goes i'm married and then it goes on this whole thing but like two minutes later she says something about it's hot out here and he goes you told me you wouldn't talk about the heat yeah i just i love that because that just shows like to me like the heat they're the characters as the actors as well but the characters are very um they're listening to what the other is saying mm. and they've kind of they've kind of um uh focused and put blinders on to the rest of the world except the person they're talking yeah and that that scene especially they get this back and forth that's so good where they're just immediately yeah one-upping each other he's got he's got one line at one point where ned's like um i just need someone to take care of me massage my muscles and smooth out my sheets and she goes well get married and he said no i just need it tonight (laughs) yeah and then that's when she like spits out her the snow Mm -hmm. cone and gets it all over her white dress and and now i'm thinking about too because because it's like white specifically her clothes early on is this very like pure white uh but but you start seeing red come into her outfit more and more but the first time you kind of see it is that scene when she gets red snow cone on her white uh this is this is very getting to the did kaz didn't mean to do this of the of the red snow cone uh uh staining the the white the pure white uh uh outfit she has on Mm -hmm. And the next time you see her, it's a white blouse and a red skirt is what it is. And you start seeing more of that as as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. Stand there with me if you want, but you'll have to agree not to talk about the heat. I'm a married woman. Meaning what? Meaning I'm not looking for company. And you should have said I'm a happily married woman. That's my business. What? How happy I am. And how happy is that? You're not too smart, are you? (laughs) I like that in a man. What else do you like? Lazy, ugly, horny? I got them all. You don't look lazy. (laughs) Tell me, does chat like this work with most women? Some, if they haven't been around much. I wondered. Thought maybe I was out of touch. Come on, I'd buy you a drink. I told you, I've got a husband. I'll buy him one, too. He's out of town. My favorite kind. We'll drink to him. Only comes up on weekends. <laughs> I'm liking him better all the time. And also the opening scene 
with her, I think uh, we've, I think I mentioned this last episode um, of the idea of urban decay in neo noir and how even though we're not talking, it's not a city specifically. We're seeing the the downfall of the urban landscape, and it start the movie starts off with like a red flame coming up in the sky or red smoke and and hurts talking about how like oh they're burning down uh or they're 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 demolishing uh like a place that my family and i used to eat at as a child or whatever and it's this idea of like the the city it's very brief but it's like the city is kind of just like changing and getting worse mm-hmm. uh as time has gone yeah, on yeah well and in that scene too he says something about like oh i used to have a client who was a an arsonist and then you get the that planting early of of teddy yeah you do come in later Mm -hmm. still burning jesus it's bigger what is it seawater in my family used to eat dinner there 25 years ago now somebody's torched it to clear the lot it's a shame probably one of my clients (laughs) i'm leaving what do you care you're watching the fire you're done with me. You've had your fun. You're spent. My history is burning up out there. <laughs> I don't mind. I'm leaving. What's the scene for you? Honestly, you were talking about supporting characters before. Any scene with Ted Danson, yep. <laughs> um, I'm in for. And, and also, uh, we, were, we were saying earlier, kind of character actor J.A. Preston, who plays Oscar. The, these three, it's like... A uh, defense lawyer, uh, a district attorney, and a cop who are all buddies and hang out together, and all yeah. all of their scenes, chemistry in this entire movie is just off the charts. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I love they've got an early scene at, at the diner um, that they all go to, and and it's like the the sunlight coming in from outside is like so filtered oh, that it feels blinding. Humid. Yeah, like everything yeah. just feels humid in this movie, and. Um, oscar's got this line where he says like it's it's when it gets this hot people try to kill each other <laughs> yeah that's that's great but uh and and they ask him like if you're so like philosophical like why are you stuck in this town type thing mm-hmm. or whatever like it's it's a very like these like that that scene i wrote down too just like their cafe banter they have and not just with themselves but even like the waitress that keeps going mm-hmm. by and those scenes but it's just it's 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 fresh and, and wonderful yeah yeah and another great scene i love with the three of them is when uh after the the first kind of hearing uh over the the yeah. will and ned comes back to his house and oscar and peter are both there waiting on him and you think they're about to like accuse him but then they're just like hey we're mm-hmm. just here to warn you stay away from from maddie and he can't like ned handles it really well he's like i i'm going over to her house tonight she invited me over and they're like you're gonna get in trouble one of these days but <laughs> it, there's there's like, great there's a great tension when he walks into that scene like are these guys like is oscar gonna arrest me like what is what is happening here and they're just like hey yeah watch out for this girl yeah it, it, it definitely it's it's off kilter because you've you walk in for one you've you've come out where ted danson's in that the will reading essentially scene and the next time you see him is that he's sitting on William Hurt's couch. And so it's this thing of like, oh, do they know something they that he wasn't saying earlier? Like, the, what do they know? Mm. And, and because it's the idea of like a character walking into their home and characters already being there. Usually when you see that in a movie, it's because they're there to confront them about something that they know about the other person. And this type of like noir... Yeah storyline that's what usually happens yeah. but and you, instead you immediately it's a warning 
Yeah, you immediately get that feeling, and then it, this the scene is kind of like, "Hey, did you forget these guys are his best friends? Like they're they're just being his yeah, best yeah. friends right now." But yeah, it, when you, you walk yeah. into that scene, like, "Oh, he's caught." Hi hey guys, just come on in, make yourself at home. Sorry about that. Not me. The door was unlocked, inviting illegal entry. It's behavior like that makes Oscar's job so hard. Sorry, Oscar. You guys want a beer? No, thank you. I already had one. Ned, how in the fuck did you ever get involved with this Maddie Walker? What do you mean? I mean, she's poisoned. Tell me what you know about her old man's death. What I read in the paper, he died in the fire. It looks like arson. Was arson. Okay, it was arson. You don't know if you were setting it and fucked up or if it's just what somebody wanted it to look like. No, you didn't set it somebody off. Oh. There's people on the place or something, right? That's right. And a very rough group of fellas, too. Possible they want to cut old Edmund out, but it just doesn't seem like a very neat way to handle something like that. No, it's not their style. They're very smooth. They'd rather destroy you than kill you. And they hate publicity. Me, I'm more interested in the grieving widow. <laughs> Her sister-in-law's got plenty of ideas along that line, too. She could barely contain herself today. I noticed that. But she wants to wait and see how Maddie treats her on the estate. Doesn't want to blow it. How'd you get involved? They asked me to redo the will. I met with her and Edmund. It was pretty simple. Miss <laughs> Marianne Simpson witnessed it with me. Walker didn't seem to think it was any big deal. That's it. That's it. And that's something Ted Ted Danson does really well in this movie. Is he 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 toes the line of friend who's trying or a person who's trying to help his friend out and warning him about what's going on but also the person who's just trying to do their job and like it sees the signs that this guy is, is that his friend is guilty mm -hmm. of something. Yeah. But he doesn't know what. And he's like going back and forth of like, I have to, I have to like find out more about you. I have to, I'm gonna have to I put you on trial, but also you're my friend. And they kind of like, Oh, like as I go into this, like, I don't care if this guy died. Like more, I find out like he was kind of a crooked dude, like whoever killed him, whatever. But our buddy, uh, J.A. Preston just can't stop. Oscar can't stop. He's gonna have. To, he's gonna keep going because that's his job. Yeah. we're lawyers. We can skirt uh, the law, but like he's a cop. He can't. Yeah, <laughs> he's a cop. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no comment. <laughs> um, another. I mean, uh, scene I gotta bring up just right now, and we'll talk about him later, probably in awards because I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for him. But Mickey Rourke mm -hmm. in this movie is in two scenes. Yep. <laughs> he is in two scenes in this entire movie. And after the first time watching it, I always I, I and I, I kind of had heard about the film beforehand. I felt Rourke had a much bigger role in this movie, but like his two scenes are just so are perfectly crafted. Rourke gives a great performance, and in every review we read, no matter negative or positive about the film, they always talk about Mickey Rourke and Ted Danson being the two best yeah. things like of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I would agree with I would agree with that in terms of and I love Kathleen Turner and William Hurt, but like I just feel like those two because it's it's the idea of like less is more, and because they have less scenes, something just like elevates them more of like of their like how memorable they are overall. Something that Kasdan does incredibly well in this movie, especially for someone coming to directing from a writing background and not like a theater background. Or like mm -hmm. a movement background, but he's great at blocking and business. Yeah. And 
one that specifically comes to mind is the scene when we're introduced to Teddy, Mickey Rourke's character, and it's in his like workshop room area. Mm-hmm. And while he's talking to singing Bob Seger, while, while he's talking to <laughs> William, there the Bob Seger's blasting, but he yeah. like kind of climbs up on his bunk bed and is just kind of sitting yeah. on his bunk bed, like he's warning him about arson. But it's it it uh, it almost shows you how casual this is. Like he he's just like yeah, it's just arson, you know, it's gonna be fine. Um, and and he does the yeah. same thing with Danson. He's got Danson's character's got this thing where he does like Fred Astaire dancing. He's dancing yeah, the just, entire, just yeah. like in his free time. And uh, there's, there's these little quirks like 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 Lowenstein Ted Danson's character like doesn't smoke, and he's got a couple of really good little jokes. There's the one when they're at the will reading and everyone lights up, <laughs> yes. and Danson's like, "No, thank you. I'll just breathe the air." <laughs> Because everyone's smoking, and I love the cuts to the next scene, and the will the will room is just like full of mm-hmm. smoke, like in haze of just like them smoking the entire time. Yeah, yeah. And there's the scene later on, which a really great scene, one of my favorites, where where Lowenstein kind of confronts Ned and his yeah. base. He ne- doesn't say like I know you did it, but like it's the scene where we're like, okay, he's finally got enough evidence that he can like pretty much accuse his friend, and, and it's when Ned comes running up to him on the dock. And and Lo- and offers him a cigarette like right away, and Lowenstein's like, "Did you just run? <laughs> Why? Why are you doing this to yourself?" <laughs> and oh yeah, and then he also says, "Oh, that's the same brand that Maddie yeah. smokes." Mm-hmm. And William Hurt just or Ned's just like, "If it's gonna be that conversation, I'm gonna leave right now." And and yeah, Ted dancing in that. Oh, like because it starts off, it opens with him like just again dancing mm-hmm. on the pier, like and like just like. Almost like he's doing an interpretive dance just by himself, like tap dancing and doing spins. And all of a sudden, like, oh, my buddy just ran up here. <laughs> but yeah, Gaston has this great recognition that that people need to be doing something. And and that's not something yeah. that always comes to first-time directors. And like I said, it's especially not something that comes to somebody who doesn't have a theater background. But, but you, you know, the, the snow cone in that first meeting scene or the, yeah. the wind chimes when when ned comes back to maddie's house for the first time and going off that too a scene we, we and it didn't, I, I didn't clock it at first but when you say this it makes sense the scene the only the scene when when ned meets maddie and her husband for mm-hmm. the first time yeah and they're at the they're at the uh the restaurant and matt and and Kasdan cuts to maddie's hands and she's fiddling with her like cigarette lighter mm-hmm. on the table and then and then her husband like grabs her hand after, puts a close up of her hand as she's like fidgeting with the cigarette lighter. And then the husband grabs the ha- grabs her hand to kind of like calm her down. And you could have done that entire scene without using that close up, and it would just been a, a, a simple and well executed conversation scene. But he uses he uses shot selection uh, to show to to amplify the tension within the scene. Um. So yeah, I I agree. He has, for for a guy who doesn't have a theater background, he really knows, and for a first time director, knows how to block actors for camera, um, and also how to block camera for actors mm. with like certain scenes when like the cam. I think in, in the at the end, uh, when Hertz in jail and he's talking to Oscar, it's this kind of like the the camera keeps going around them, mm-hmm. kind of in a way going back and forth, um, but yeah. You know, it's it's funny that just kind of thinking on what we've pulled, there's there's this is a movie that's become kind of uh notorious for like I said, introducing the the kind of erotic thrillers of the eighties and, and 
when when you go back and watch it, you know, all the stuff that really stands out are all these these dialogue scenes and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the sex the sex scenes. I mean, feel very tamed uh, for for nowadays. I mean, they're they're sensual and they're very like like the oh, I mean, there's we didn't bring up, but it's the scene when he goes um, to her house to look at the wind chimes, leaves, and then comes back and like basically breaks down the I mean, breaks down a door mm-hmm. essentially, throws a, a a chair through a window, and it's a it's a very hot scene, and it's because it's the I mean, it's like the tension has built to a point where like they have to, they have to have sex here mm-hmm. essentially because they've just been, they've been tempting it uh, back and forth, back and forth. And it's just been, it's the chemistry has been palpable the entire time. And you know, and, and cause like she takes him back to the house, just look at wind chimes and that's all they do. And you're like, ugh, can these two get together? And then it just like breaks open. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the best scenes with the two of them, as far as like the sensual scenes go, is is the two of them in the bathtub with a bucket yeah, of ice, yeah. and they're just like pouring ice on each other. And that's that's the first time Maddie really brings up kind of the like plants the idea as we find out later of of killing her husband. You are killing me. I'm red. I'm sore. You're sore. You got nerve. Okay, about to fall off. Is there any more ice? I'm burning up. He's small and mean and weak. So a little about about the production on set life. Uh, the movie was shot mm-hmm. for $9 million. So the full production budget. There's a lot of publicity surrounding the film as far as the explicit nature of the shoot. Um, it was very oh, racy for its time, like we said. Um, Turner and Hurt were both interviewed a lot about what it was like shooting these scenes. And they both said they were very comfortable on the shoot um and one of the stories that they both brought up was they they worked together to make sure they were both comfortable with each other and then they decided on the first shoot day involving nudity they were going to show up to set fully nude and line the crew up and shake everybody's hands both of them being nude and and so the crew would be <laughs> more comfortable i don't know if that made the crew more comfortable personally if that was me yeah that made me a little bit know. more uncomfortable but <laughs> yeah that was that was what they went for while the movie was shot in Florida, was shot on location, uh, production began in November. And so the cast and crew reported the weather as being quite cold. The cold, uh, yeah. hair and makeup team had dedicated crew members just for adding sweat and slicked back hair to the cast to give the appearance of humidity. Uh, and for outdoor scenes, the cast would sometimes have to suck on ice cubes before rolling to keep their breath from visibly fogging in the cold. Man, would you hate that of just like, not only you're cold, but you have to put water all over you to make you look. Yeah, hot. that that, that gives a like, new that gives a new meaning to that that bathtub scene, especially with them. Have, I mean, I'm I'm sure that probably wasn't real ice they they were using in that scene, but uh, but yeah, that especially just like the the humid and and hot atmosphere of this movie is so well done, and to know that it was in yeah. spite of it being very cold in Florida weather, is, yeah. is even more impressive. Props to that, yeah uh in post-production Kasdan really wanted a female perspective on the film as well 
So he um, he sought out editor Carol Littleton to handle the post-production of the film. She would go on to edit E.T. for Spielberg a year mm-hmm. later and would also edit most of Kasdan's films for the rest of his career. So a little bit of the aftermath. Uh, as as you well know from the, the critiques we've looked at, the film was a critical smash. Um, yeah. Critics praised Kasdan's debut. The Washington Post said uh, specifically... Unlike most novice directors, he can seldom be detected groping in the dark for the right nuances and undertones. Body Heat seems to be the work of a seasoned, confident stylist. One of them compared it to Citizen Kane. Yeah, which is that which everyone does. That's kind of what. like a great debut. A great de- debut happens. Ah, it's like Orson Welles, mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. Uh, yeah, the New York Times said with Body Heat, the steamiest, most thoroughly satisfying melodrama about love, lust, and greed to be seen since Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity and Tay Garnett's The Postman Always Rings Twice, in parentheses, forget about this year's lethargic remake. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lawrence Kasdan. A lot, of rev- a lot of reviews said that. A lot of reviews said, like, oh, don't you wish the remake of Postman Always Rings Twice had the same, like, energy to yeah. it? Yeah, I've seen that. Was, that's um, Nicholson. Nicholson's in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it. I've seen the original. I haven't seen the remake. Yeah, forget about this year's Lethargic Remake. Lawrence Kasdan, heretofore known as a screenwriter from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Continental <laughs> Divide, suddenly emerges as a member of the American directing elite. I can't remember a film debut to equal it. That is, when a director has made a first film as fully and intelligently realized as Body Heat. I mean, that's a, that's a great review. Yeah. Um, so that was, but what appalling, that was what the appalling New York Times. So let's hop over to the New Yorker, <laughs> uh, where Pauline Kale did not seem to be a fan of this film and and uh to go with the theme of this month we'll we'll discuss it i'm gonna read you a couple of quotes but it doesn't seem like she's a fan of neo-noir as a genre at all Um, yeah i don't think so here's a couple of quotes she says uh he has devised a style that is a catalog of noir cliches deco titles flames and a heat wave ceiling fans tinkling wind chimes old tunes chicanery and muted voices a weak man and a femme fatale in white an insinuating hatted up dialogue that w- would be fun to hoot at if only the hushed sleepwalking manner of the film didn't make you cringe or yawn Caston has modern characters talking jive as if they've been boning up on chandler novels and he doesn't seem to know whether he wants laughs or not yeah she calls it campy i think is what she says she calls it campy but it plays it straight which mm-hmm. she she doesn't like uh pauline kale and she did not critic. like uh she did not like william hurt's performance or kathleen turner's performance and said that kathleen turner was trying to hit the marks left before her by uh earlier noir actresses okay here's another thing that i didn't like about that review because she and ebert talks about in his rebuttal like years later i think in the review you sent pauline kale and this i think is relevant i want to bring up because it's happening right now is she kind of states kathleen turner's not sexy enough to play this role hmm that's basically what she straight up says. And I want to bring that up because that just happened recently uh, with a reviewer commenting on Carrie Mulligan and Promising Young Woman. Oh, yeah. Where basically saying she's playing against type in this sexy role. And you're like, what? And so I <laughs> I think that's important. I think that's important because like it's and, and Ebert kind of argues that like because we see her as sexy in the movie, she is a very sexy and confident character. And because we we cut to Hurt's reaction, maybe you can argue it's some with the male gaze here. I'm not sure, but because Hurt believes she's sexy, we as an audience is going to believe she's sexy, and that she's confident and 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 just 
a very unique character and very fresh and very um i won't say controlling but she she has a lot of moves to play Mm -hmm. and kale kind of saying that as an because of kathleen turner's looks and voices and voice saying that she can't play this role i think is doesn't make that review age well for me um i think but i do think kale but kale's kind of known for this kale has some hits it right on the head a lot of the times, but then can also be kind of, as I said in the earlier, can feel kind of like get off my lawn type thing <laughs> uh, about the movies. Cause she didn't like Blade Runner. She didn't like the shining. She didn't like Raiders. But she's also, she didn't like Raiders, but she loves Brian De Palma. And that's why I want to bring this up. Because <laughs> De Palma is all about camp and so much about neo-noir and so much about like showing the sex and showing the violence. And she's kind of, I feel like she kind of commented saying that like noir, what made noir is that you don't show that stuff and here you're showing it, but she loved De Palma. I just, I will never comprehend that. And I love De Palma as well, but it's like, she's contradicting herself when saying that, or it feels like she is to me that she's saying she hates this with these kind of neo-noir movies, but then would love, I think she loved Body Double and like Blowout and things that De Palma made. So it just, it, it feels, I don't know, it just, it feels weird to me hearing her say that. But yeah. How'd you feel about Kale's review? Yeah, I mean, I love I love reading Pauline Kale because she's a great writer and, and she's one of she those is. critics. There's some critics out there, especially these days, like Twitter critics, yes. who, you yeah. know, tear down these movies and it's like, this this critique is is nothing but a takedown piece and and yeah. her writing was always well thought out and and she wrote in a way that you go okay i get why you didn't like this but i don't i don't agree yes. with you necessarily yes um but but yeah it, it seems like she really and and also if you pair this piece with her her thoughts on raiders of the lost ark it seems like she really doesn't care for Kasdan's approach which is often and we talked about this with his his intent for continental divide but he's he's someone who is about taking these styles in the past and updating them with modern storytelling we you and i brandon have talked about many times that is what raiders of the lost ark accomplishes so well is it takes the yes. style of b movie that never really cared much about good storytelling necessarily or character development and and it takes a, it took a bunch of these filmmakers who said i want to make a movie as exciting and fun as that but i also want to tell it in a modern way that is just better storytelling and um and that's what kasdan brought to a lot of his his stuff and i don't it it seems like she just doesn't like that at its core where she's more of like give me something original give me something new don't make this an homage to all this other stuff because i'm just going to hold you to whatever you're referencing and that's a fa- and that thing is, that's a fair criticism, honestly. Mm. I said I don't disagree with that because I, I think with Kale, even though you said even if you disagree, I do think it makes you under makes you look at the movie in a different perspective. Either way, you can still love it, but you can still look at like oh, I just say you can see why she didn't like this, and I think it's because that it wear as I said earlier, it wears its influences on its sleeve with Double Indemnity, with the Postman Always Rings Twice. And she's going to judge it accordingly and judge it based on those movies. Um, and if she loves those films, cause she even said like, I never thought I would uh, basically talk highly of Fred McMurray mm-hmm. uh, from double indemnity and say that he's better than William Hurt in this movie. <laughs> well, so like, let's, uh, 
Spe- speaking of what Pauline Kael thought of the cast of this film, let's 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 look at what other people thought of the cast of this film. So, um, the movie was a success. It was thirty uh, third in the year box office that year. So, I mean, it did fairly well for an R rated um, yeah, kind of thriller, erotic noir. Yeah, yeah uh, it made twenty five million off of its nine million budget. But the I think the real success of this film was the entire cast, as we've talked about, was like immediately catapulted into stardom. Uh, Kathleen Turner and William Hurt were both overnight successes and had extremely prolific careers for the next decade at least. Within the next eight years, Kathleen Turner had worked with Carl Reiner, John Huston, Francis Ford Coppola, and Robert Zemeckis three times. Uh, Hurt went on an absolutely insane critical run over the next few years. I hadn't really put this all together until I was listening to a podcast not long ago and they were talking about William Hurt in the 80s. Like, it's wild. He... Uh, two years later, he made The Big Chill with Lawrence Kasdan again. Uh, two years after that, he won an Oscar for Kiss of the Spider-Woman. And within the next four mm-hmm. years, he had been nominated two more times for Academy Awards for Children of a Lesser God and Broadcast News. Like, that's yeah. just crazy. Within the span of like eight yeah. years, an Oscar win and two more nominations. Yeah. Um, Ted Danson landed the role of Sam Malone while filming Body Heat and used some of his footage I, I, I read in, that. Uh, in his demo yeah. reel. Yep. And uh, I think we all know that Mickey Rourke did. Uh, Mickey Rourke did fine after this movie. <laughs> also had an extremely I mean, successful career. And yeah, in the eighty, yeah, I mean, Mickey Rourke is a guy, and maybe I'll talk about this later in the awards. But Mickey Rourke to me is, I mean, he did. I, I'm always finding kind of a movie he made later on that doesn't get a lot of like uh, dis, like discussion. Um, because after after this, I think he makes Diner, mm-hmm. which I think is he's yeah. amazing, and I think it's it's a phenomenal. Yeah, film. and I think another two years later, he had Rumblefish. Um, Rumblefish, and does like Pope of Greenwich Village, which he's great in. Um, he does Angel Heart a little bit later. Year of the Dragon, like Rourke is is it's just it's a big it's a big what if like what happens if he doesn't do boxing? He gets kind of trapped in some kind of bad movies. Um, but still just when you see young Mickey Rourke and this movie kind of proves it just how electric he is in every scene. And as far as casting, he followed this up with another huge hit with the big chill, uh, proved himself as a director who could really pick a good cast. Um, yeah. And he has continued writing directing while working as a screenwriter for others as well. And just for the record, to loop back to the beginning of his career, he was not very happy with the way The Bodyguard turned out almost 20 years after he had sold it. But he admits that it is one of his most successful films he's ever been attached to. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it made, it made a crap ton of money. Yeah. And uh, that soundtrack that soundtrack kind of uh, reinvigorated the soundtrack market of the 90s. Well, uh, Big Chill reinvigorated the soundtrack market of the 80s. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Bodyguard more like I guess Big Chill was more of the like like jukebox type soundtrack, but Bodyguard was kind of the inspired by the motion picture yeah. soundtrack, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. All right, Brandon, what worked in this movie? I mean, as I've said before, uh the cast specifically is the best part of the film to me. I think his Kasdan's uh touch for the camera is is pretty phenomenal for a first-time filmmaker uh we haven't discussed that much but the score however you want to put it it's it may be melodramatic in some cases but it definitely fits for the world Mm -hmm. that kazan has created visually i said screen the structure of the movie i think i think kazan has a a 
a great grasp of structure uh, except one part that i'll talk about in the next section <laughs> of this podcast okay okay <laughs> i think i think what worked for me kind of going along with structure is the way that this does update these these previous movies like double indemnity and and postman always shrinks twice is is the way that and and you brought up the male gaze earlier and i think the male gaze is is kind of weaponized in a in a very useful way in this movie and that we see this entirely through Ned's eyes. And yeah. when a lot of times Maddie would be de- depicted as a femme fatale in these earlier movies, we truly don't know what Maddie is, is, is scheming until Ned does. Yeah. And, it, and it takes, yeah. it takes a long time for it to dawn on Ned. Like when, when, when the stuff with the will comes up, you're like, wow, she, yeah. Okay. Maybe she double crossed him, but it was just kind of a dumb greed you know that she that she messed yeah. with the will that was just kind of dumb and then you slowly start to realize oh my god she set all of this up yeah and when, when's when's the part you think that like when's that hit you officially when he Is when he meets when the Ro- guy no I, I think it's when when he meets the guy who referred her to him when that guy says the guy who okay. knew yeah, that yeah, yeah. ned had pre so there's you know there's this whole plot line where ned messed up a will previously that led to all the money going to one person and that's what yeah. Maddie then edits the will the same way to make that happen to her, so to make it look like an accident. And Ned then runs into this guy in Miami who is like, oh, yeah, Maddie Walker, I told her that story about the time you messed that will up. And we find out, oh, my God, even though he approached her on the boardwalk that night, like she targeted him. She planned, yeah, she to, targeted him. To, specifically to exploit this will the way that he wrote this will once like she she found him out just for that and um and i love one one thing i love in a movie i don't want, i don't want to see every movie like this but i do love to quote the a-team i do love when a plan comes together you know like a, like a great <laughs> heist movie and i and i love watching a movie where someone is good at their job you know that's why i love watching john wick <laughs> that's why i love watching ted lasso coach a soccer team um <laughs> And and to to get to the end of this movie, especially a movie like this where it kind of it's starting to spiral out of control for Ned, and at the yeah. same time that that everything Ned thinks he planned the perfect murder, and at the same time it's spiraling out of control. The way the movie is just kind of like, this is exactly how Maddie wanted this to happen is is so much fun. I think. Like, and I think that's that's what makes this movie a little bit different compared to other stuff, is that everything there's no saving grace. Mm-hmm like she gets away yeah like she's off in some island with a portuguese man uh some mai tais by the beach like that's what she's doing uh and everything works out and usually and we're talking about the male gaze and kind of how female characters are treated early on the noir genre usually the female gets her comeuppance the femme fatale gets her comeuppance she dies or gets put in jail she doesn't get away that's the whole bit. Like the man has to come in and save the day, but Kazan does change it up to where she gets away and she succeeds in her plan. And it does and, not fail. And Ned gets punished for being dumb and horny and, and sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> you had just you thought go. with your head yeah. for a moment, like all your friends were telling you, you'd be fine, man. Yeah. You'd be fine. But no, you could have just walked away. It'd be <laughs> fine. You didn't have to do anything. Cause it's you're the one that I mean she she planted it for him but like you're the one that says oh let's kill your husband yeah like he's the one that actively says it mm-hmm. even though she planted the seeds he's the one that says it. that's why I think she's so brilliant is that her character 
as you said earlier, lets him think he is in control the entire time. Yeah. And and since we're seeing it from his eyes, the movie really doesn't have a moment earlier on that's like, hey, she might be trouble. Like it doesn't it doesn't no. you know, advertise that to you. Not at all. Um, but no, yeah, I think again, we 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 kind of we didn't we didn't say it that much, but I do think she, Kathleen Turner, is fantastic in this role. All right, give me your give me your uh, your issues with it. What didn't work? All right, all right, the ending. Okay, here's my thing. I'm a, it's a little far fetched, and maybe again, it's probably just the genre that we're talking about here. But that hurt go gets in jail and then is just lying in bed and goes, "Oh, she's alive," because the whole thing is that. Kathleen Turner essentially expo- like blows up in a in a explosion at a boathouse mm-hmm. that she set up for allegedly set up for William Hurt. Uh, she blows up and she's dead. He goes to jail for probably her murder and the husband's murder, and then just randomly it cuts to him in jail at the end. He goes, "She did it," and then he sits down with his buddy Oscar at at as prison, just saying, "Here's how I think she did it," mm-hmm. and it's kind of this like. I'm not sure how like, how he's able to find piece all this information together, and it feels like we're trying to play catch up at the very last minute. Okay. Like it's almost like, it's like those things weren't scene. set up. Yeah, and 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 I can criticize, and I love Psycho, uh, but it's kind of like a here's the things you guys didn't catch. Let me t-. so it's the whole like the addition of the oh well maybe she was doing this and then this this friend this old friend from her past uh came up knew she was lying and started blackmailing her and you're kind of like where'd that come from you don't you don't think if you were sitting in a jail cell with nothing to do you'd start uh you'd start thinking real critically I about mean, all the stuff can, you didn't you pay attention to you can come up with that no i agree with it but you can come up with theories but to for him to hit the nail on the head so well of the maybe she had a pre maybe she had a secret in her past and she lied about being someone else and the one person who knew that she was lying uh, all of a sudden came into her life to stop her from getting that money. And now because, and so that's the whole addition of the, the high school friend is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just feels a little, not as explained as it could have been. It feels kind of like a pull the rug out from underneath. You got to have your twist at the end for it, for the movie. Um, it worked for me the first time I saw it. It doesn't work for me the second time I saw it. That was okay. the thing. As someone who doesn't, dislike the psycho scene as much as a lot of people do i don't have a problem with it i think i think any any like detective fiction needs that like you you, you got to explain it to people. well I'll, that's fair i'll say this though uh i do wonder if because the bringing kind of some of the kale stuff because that is a older film do i give it do i hold it up to the same standards as i hold hold a more modern film up to if that makes sense mm-hmm like I'll let older films get away with a little bit more cause they're figuring stuff out and it's kind of just the era. And this also too is kind of the era, but it just, it feels like it, it's, and uh, it just gets, it gets one last thing at the end. That I just feel like, I don't know if it needs, like, I mean, I mean, I mean, I wonder like, I mean, picture the ending. I mean, I don't know. You, you want the thing, I think because you have to have the ending to show she got away and to show that she was smarter and planned the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, you don't have that revelation, which I do think make what's what makes this movie modern and makes it neo-noir mm-hmm. is that revelation. So it's, it's almost, it's the, 
it might not work fully for me, but does it work better without it? And I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's valid. All right. A little bit of alternate universe cast. Since it was a long casting process, we got some, we got some fun people. Uh, Ooh. Fox early in development. Uh, I'm assuming before, uh, casting had really put his foot down as far as unknowns. Fox had offered the role to Christopher Reeve. Um, and he turned it down because he didn't think he would be believable as a sleazy lawyer. That would have been interesting, though. I would have liked seeing Christopher Reeve in that. He's Superman, and that's what everyone's going to lump him into. But I do think he was a good actor. I mean, he was a classically trained actor from Juilliard. And I would have loved to have seen him do more that caught on mainstream-wise mm-hmm. compared to Superman. Kim Basinger, Deborah Winger, and Sigourney Weaver were all considered for Maddie. Sigourney Weaver is my favorite out of those three. Yeah, for that role i agree i, I would think, like sigourney weaver i don't think kim basinger would have i think she would have been too femme fatale i think she would have been too yeah. femme fatale from the start as well yeah i think yeah, i think she'd been too young at that point as well mm-hmm. i'm not sure what her age was but uh deborah winger i love deborah winger at this period deborah winger has this beautiful like awkward charm to her to me a lot of the mm-hmm. times that i'm not sure if that would work for this yeah, movie yeah i 100 percent Sigourney agree. weaver i would totally see in that role yeah she could totally nail that role yeah uh mickey rourke originally auditioned for ned but came off as too young in his audition yeah um ken kim zimmer who played marianne had taken over kathleen turner's role on the doctors was playing the same character when turner left <laughs> to go to broadway zimmer was originally picked as a possible maddie but the doctors wouldn't give her enough time off of the show schedule for her starring role. So she gets one day, basically. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, it's the, I'm it's, telling it's you, that one scene. That, they should call this the Doctors the Movie. The, that, um, that little soap opera hey, really had a lot of influence on this film. Apparently Alec Baldwin was in that show. Kathy Bates was in that show. Like, a lot of people. It ran for like 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and so, all right, I, I, I'm going to quiz you on this one. Someone mm-hmm. from Kasdan's future was very close to getting the part of Lowenstein. Ooh, Lowenstein. Kevin Klein? Nope. Oh, that would have been fun, though. Yeah. Uh, so he was in later movies yeah. that Kasdan made. Kasdan said he, he liked him in this, but went with Ted Danson, but brought him back for his next movie. Okay, so he's in The Big Chill. But the question is, does he get cut from The Big Chill? No. No. So good, it's not Costner. Good, good okay. thought. Good thought. <laughs> so it's Jeff Goldblum, it's right? It's Jeff Goldblum, yeah. Jeff Goldblum. I can see, was, I can see Jeff Goldblum. Jeff yeah. Goldblum was, was up against uh, Ted Danson for, for Lowenstein. That and, would be a that would kind of be fun though. I'm not saying I think Ted Danson is good, but there's a like, what's the universe where Jeff Goldblum's in that role? Mm-hmm. Like, is he just like like his doing like uh like just kind of like stuttering the entire time? Like uh, let me, uh, uh like, no, see, no thanks, like, I'll just I'll just breathe the <laughs> air. <laughs> I don't think he had that Southern charm at that man. Like, like Jeff Goldblum, even though he's like, I mean, I feel like he, like, Ted Danson has this kind of like Southern lawyer charm. Yeah. Ted Danson's, I don't know. He's got this, he's cool through the whole movie, which I think is so much fun. Like he's, he's like, your yeah. friend just murdered somebody. And he's just like, I'm, I'm like, I feel like Goldblum would have been a little bit more neurotic with it, but I'm yeah, yeah sure. I agree. Um, a couple of film facts. Uh, Alan Ladd hated William Hurt's mustache. And um, thought it was the final straw that took this already explicit film into softcore pornography territory. (laughs) 
but uh, but Caston put his foot down when it came to shaving it off. He's he's keeping the damn mustache. I swear to God. <laughs> um, in the original version of the script, Ned and Maddie make an earlier attempt murder attempt and fail. The sequence was shot, and some of the footage from the attempt can be seen used briefly in the final murder scene, where some of the set dressing doesn't match up from cut to cut. Oh, interesting. Um. This film was an unlikely choice for syndication due to its sexually explicit material, uh, but it was yeah. picked up to run on television. But for some reason, the very not explicit murder scene was completely cut out of the film version. <laughs> you just don't see them kill her husband at all. That's weird. It's it's not violent. Like it's kind of all, right. Now, it's kind of off screen when it hits him. If anything, I would put that under. Did it not work? Because I kind of forget the murder scene happens because it's mm-hmm. just kind of there. Maybe you watch the TV version. <laughs> Uh, Ted Danson's mother went to see her fir- her son's first big film role in theaters and su- subsequently oh, walked out due to the explicit content. Um, not long ago, Danson said that she lied to him for decades, telling him she had seen the movie before admitting that she had never finished it. <laughs> but Ma, what do you like my dancing? Oh, your dancing's great, Ted. Your dancing's great. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, uh, having already fought hard to get her role in the film, Turner was actually made to audition again for the Lad Company executives after they bought it from fox uh because she was the most green as we said she had one uh screen credit on her resume um i get that yeah i mean the the movie the movie kind of makes it, it like she makes or breaks the movie i feel all right any any story questions uh did she really love him was the big one i don't know man that's the thing like she maybe but she's also th- through the whole movie we see how convincing she is at, at lying through the entire thing yeah so, so who knows she tells him that like she she outright says like no matter what scheming i did i do love you but it's like it, okay what do we what do we believe from her yeah but well i don't because the last shot is like she's on the beach with her portuguese man and she doesn't seem happy mm-hmm. like you know what i mean yeah. like all the ambition and the all the ambition she had all the 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 uh journey for riches she's found herself there and it's just like it's it's kind of like lingering question was it all worth it did i lose more than i gained yeah mm-hmm. uh one more question is she, is he charged with her mur- mur- murder or her murder and her husband's murder I don't know. I mean, they they have evidence that he he knew how to build a bomb. Um, you know, he talked yeah. to Teddy. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, that's a question too. Being that Oscar was there and saw her kind of willing, I don't know. He was holding a gun. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if she willingly walked into that barn or not. He does run and say "don't," so it makes like he planted the bomb there yeah. in Oscar's eyes. Yeah, probably uh and then my i got my, my last question is what happens to mickey rourke what happens to teddy jail yeah here's here's the thing that i'll leave i'll leave it i'm gonna <laughs> save it for later i'm gonna save it for later all right for awards all right well here we go awards um this one's gonna be interesting it's such yeah. a fun supporting cast like we've said this one. so beatrice straight award for an actor or actress with limited scenes that kills it 100% mickey rourke for me yeah 100% yeah i'll back you although i think there is a case to be made for um there, there's a pretty strong case to be made for Richard Crenna as as Edmund, her, her husband. I agree. He Richard Crenna is really great. One scene. Um, it, it's just an interesting. It, it's kind of the first sign that she's been lying 
to us because she's told us that he's yeah that he's small and weak that he's mean but he's he's like small and weak and then we have this scene and he is like he is not weak like he is no a very intimidating man and 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 you can yeah. see that ned is like holy shit this guy's scary i mean that's what prompts kind of ned to like well because one of the reviews talks about like that's the scene where ned's goes i'm gonna kill this guy mm-hmm. because it feels like uh richard krenna kind of challenges ned's manhood in a way yeah not di- not directly but like indirectly yeah he's like, like hey oh. my, my wife's my wife's gorgeous right you think she's attractive yeah if anybody if she ever got with anybody i'd, I'd murder her <laughs> like, i'd kill you and then and then ned's like i bet you won't <laughs> <laughs> she's something isn't she oh she is a lovely lady yeah yeah she is and i'm crazy about her if I thought she was seeing another guy, I don't know. Oh, I could understand how it could happen. Her being the way she is, I could understand it, but I think I'd kill the guy with my bare hands. That's understanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like that, but yeah, I think Mickey Rourke is just just talk like for for us this is what I want to say. For a guy for a character that is simply there for exposition it feels like Mm -hmm. that is all that character is there for he is there to give ned information and some cases kind of be his conscience in one scene the first scene is like his conscience like hey man i don't think you should do this but here's how you can do it uh and the second scene it's the hey man she came to me watch your back that's all that's the two things you get out of that those two scenes that mickey rourke is in but somehow mickey rourke commands commands the screen with his presence in both those scenes and for a kid Mm. because he's young who's like again like second like second kind of fourth movie but like second like kind of like performance he's just totally in his element and it's just it's he's so cool and kind of calm even in the in the in the the, even being the arrested part but he just feels like a troubled like tormented soul Mm-hmm. And he only has two scenes. Yeah, no, I think I think he definitely wins that. You gotta try not to get famous while you're in the act. That's all there was to it. Any idiot could do it. Sorry. Hey, now, I want to ask you something. Are you listening to me, asshole? Because I like you. I got a serious question for you. What the fuck are you doing? This is not shit for you to be messing with. Are you ready to hear something? I want you to see if this sounds familiar. Anytime you try a decent crime, you got 50 ways you can fuck up. If you think it's 25 at end, then you're a genius. And you ain't no genius. You remember who told me that? Hey, no smoking in here. Look, why don't you let me do it for you? Gratis, I'll do it. I wouldn't even be on the street if it wasn't for you. Thanks. <laughs> I sure hope you know what you're doing. You better be damn sure, because if you ain't sure, then don't do it. Of course, that's my recommendation anyway. Don't do it. All right, the Andy Potts X Factor Award, the supporting actor that is the most memorable. Uh, I mean, my again, my vote's Ted Danson on this. I don't. Yeah, no, absolutely. J- every every step of the way, Ted Danson is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was gonna say J.A. Preston is is great. I I think Oscar's given so many good lines. Like Oscar's got all the best lines in this movie. He he's always mm-hmm. like the voice of reason, whereas 
Lowenstein is is more like comic relief uh and, and i mean he does have some really like we talked about the scene where he kind of confronts him on the dock like he does have some good like let's get serious kind of scenes but um yeah. but dance and handle so well so so much especially the second half of this film is this tension of like is or oscar and lowenstein are these people coming to me as my friends are they coming to me as my legal enemies um yeah. and, and one i think dance and handles exceptionally well is the scene it's so nerve-wracking but the scene after ned has like decided to confront count- maddie's niece yeah. and, and you know they're like you can go out the back door and he's like no i'm gonna i'm gonna go out the front door and like walks right up to her and like he's just like i gotta i have to know i have to know if she recognizes me or not and then Danson comes down later and is like i gotta tell you what happened and then just like cracks up and it's like lowenstein is just always in this weird in-between zone of like does he know does he not know izzy's ned's friend and he the whole movie he just walks that line so well he dances yeah. on that line so he dances well. he, dan- he dances that line i mean it, you get it again like so he gets it when he confronts the peer that's kind of the hey dude i know what you've done but i'm not gonna stop you i'm just gonna tell you right now our buddy's gonna stop you and yeah. i can't do anything about it um and like that's when like i think for the first time in the, in the movie hurt doesn't like come out and say he did it but his reaction to what tan Dan- ted danson is saying is basically saying you're right mm-hmm. like all this is right you know that edmund walker was a bad guy and the more i find out about him the happier i am he's dead i think it's a positive thing for the world you're not known for being a hardliner well i have my own standards i just try to keep them pride <coughs> As far as I'm concerned, I don't care who killed them, and I don't care who gets rich because of them. But Oscar, Oscar's not like that. I mean, his whole life is based on doing the right thing. He's the only person I know like that. Sometimes it's a real pain in the ass, even for him. Oscar's unhappy right now. I mean, he is in pain. Why is that? Because he likes you. He likes you even better than I do. That's why he's busting his butt trying to find his Marianne Simpson. They found her place in Miami yesterday. Huh? But the woman herself was gone. Seems like she left in a hurry. Oscar thought any story she could tell might help. He thinks you need help. someone's putting you into deep trouble my friend so far this has played out how i pictured it but now we get to the wild card feels like this is the biggest challenge every every episode gene hagman mvp award the person who carries this movie i mean my my vote's lawrence caston yeah i i i can back that i mean it's you you've got turner you've got hurt you've got caston you can argue any of the three and it's again we we when we do with this award it definitely feels like we sometimes judge it based on what are the outside uh what are the outside obstacles mm-hmm. essentially and what's the, what's the narrative that's the, that, that's the that's the big thing about the MVP vote there Thomas it's about the narrative that you're it kind, is. Of, kind of you're it trying is. to construct and it's and it's the okay who has the bigger narrative the guy who's the hottest ticket in Hollywood as a one of the hottest screenwriters in Hollywood at this point do these big budget films. And he chooses to make an erotic thriller 
that could just like stop his career before I ever get started as a director. Like everything, he like I want unknowns. I'm making this like noir, like '40s, like inspired erotic uh, neo noir, and Lucas is gonna back me, but he's not gonna put his name on it, and I'm still gonna do it no matter what. It's just I, I feel like if it fail, if that movie fails, and if he doesn't have a good grasp on the tone and the structure and and the direction, his career falters. I feel like Turner and Hurt are could still have a career afterwards. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and and to make like we've said several times before, to make a debut film this well done, especially you know if he was this this career screenwriter who had been on set for all these huge movies, okay, maybe yeah that makes sense. But like he's two of his films have been made so far. Like I'm sure he was involved in the in Continental Divide and, and Raiders, but he. He only has two films to his name at this point. Like, uh, yeah, that it's he doesn't have that much. He doesn't have the amount of experience in filmmaking that should make this movie as good as it is from a technical standpoint. I agree completely. All right. There we go. Lawrence Kasdan, MVP award. What are you doing in Pine Haven? I'm no yokel. I was all the way to Miami once. There are some men once they get a whiff of it, they trail you like a hound. I'm not that eager. What's your name, anyway? Ned Racine. Maddie Walker. Wow. You all right? Yes, I'm fine. My temperature runs a couple of degrees high, around 100. I don't mind. It's the engine or something. Maybe you need a tune-up. Don't tell me. You have just the right tool. I don't talk like that. How'd you find me, Ned? This is the only joint in Pine Haven. You shouldn't have come. You're going to be disappointed. Final questions. You ready for this? Well, I, is this, this present day or is this 1940s? I think present day. I, you couldn't make this in the 1940s. I mean, this was made in the 1940s. It was double indemnity. Um, That's true. Legally, we, cannot, can legally we cannot say that because they did not have the rights to remake double indemnity well, a, for this uh for this film give me a second because i did not plan for present day oh you planned for the 40 yeah. okay okay i mean it would just been like i'm like barbara stanwick lauren bacall <laughs> that's what i would <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh i would have said i'll give you a 1940s one i would have said uh either dick powell or dan uh dan durier who was in like uh uh woman in the window um until for we talked about in the noir thing as uh ted danson's character now this is one of them for danny k <laughs> i would okay here's what i would have said for uh for maddie i would have said gloria graham that would have been mm-hmm. my yeah i can see that would scarlett johansson work for for maddie yeah i could see that it's an interesting one I mean, again, I, I I think also one you might say is like a Margot Robbie type person type mm-hmm. character. Here's a weird. Here's a weird one. I don't know if she can pull it off because I've never really seen her play, to my knowledge, like a femme fatale of any kind. But Kira Knightley. That's good. We don't want a femme fatale. Like we don't want anybody to bring. Yeah. The um, femme fatale to it necessarily. Like I wonder if Kira Knightley could be an interesting pick for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. So Kira Knightley for her, for her. But so let's see, William Hurt. Who who is the modern day William Hurt? Is the question. Like, is it Bradley Cooper? Is that who we're Ooh, going with? Is like I could see that. Like a sleazy is Bradley Cooper. Yeah, like because I'm trying to think like who's a guy who has a, who had a phenomenal run like in terms of Oscar nominations, and like it's Bradley Cooper with like Silver Linings and uh, American Sniper and American Hustle and then Star Is Born like pretty pretty back to back. I do like that. I like that a lot. Scarlett Johansson. Oh no, sorry. Uh, um, Kira Knightley and Bradley Cooper. That's an interesting. I've never seen that that cast. No. Let's see. Should we do a Mickey Rourke? Should we do a Teddy? Like who's a, who's a good Teddy? Who's, a, who's an arsonist right now? Who's a young who's an arsonist? A young who's arsonist. a young hot a young hot arsonist? Lucas Hedges. I mean, he is kind of like the the young like kind of like who's like it's like who's the like I mean who's the early twenty year old? It's Lucas Hedges or Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> like yeah. it's one of the two. That's about it. I don't know if I uh, Timothy Chalamet. I don't know if I could see him playing. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. I just that just. What about uh? What about the the guy uh from uh? I'm trying to think of his name right now. The guy from from Midsummer. Jack uh Jack is that Jack Rayner? Oh no, other guy from Midsummer. Oh um, what's the kid? Uh, Revenant. Um, we are the Millers. Oh, uh, Will Poulter. <laughs> He's definitely an arsonist, one hundred percent. I could say, <laughs> not in real life. I'm he's, saying he can play in it. I'm sorry, Will Poulter. He's definitely an arsonist. I, I could, I like him for that. I've got, I've got Lowenstein. He would never in okay. his life take this role. But okay, go ahead. Who you got? Who you got? I think Will Smith would be a phenomenal Lowenstein, and I think this would be <laughs> the kick that his. I think a really good supporting character Dude, role is it. what his career needs right now. I. I, I agree completely. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I like that pick. I just, that's again, like a one that I wouldn't want to see like, Hey, let's make, let's make Lowenstein the main character of body. No, 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 no not at just all. He's, he's gotta be exactly the same. I'm talking the same he's script. Be the same, yeah. But I'm talking, someone who can handle that, that comedy back and forth of comedy and drama. And every time you walk into a scene, you're not sure what he's, which side he's bringing to yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the side thing. I mean, I, I think Will Smith, I think, I always feel that many, many like leading actors and actresses, not just like a, it's like a male, female thing, but like any like leading actor, actress that's going through somewhat of a rut. I always say take a couple supporting roles because that's when people will realize like how much like, uh, how, how I, they'll, they'll remember how great you are. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where you can play like a character role. And will, will Smith is a guy where he's never really, leaned into that that much in his yeah, career because he's been he's like been the most bankable star since he's been the guy you know, yeah, yeah since since independence day boom yeah it's like i mean if you look at like look at tom cruise for example i wonder that what career does tom cruise have if he doesn't do less grossman and tropic thunder <laughs> like i mean even magnolia like, like like he's constantly taking yeah. these like you know, he gives it like five, six years, and then he goes like, "I'm gonna take this role nobody expects me to take," and that, yeah. that has and kept his career going 100. And I wonder sometimes, does Will Smith or these other bigger actors, if they take that supporting role, does that um, uh, help their longevity as an actor or actress? Yeah, take here, take the take Rusty Ryan, 
take Linus and just trust yeah. that you this Ocean's 12 will be about Rusty, you know? Just just have yeah, faith yeah. In, have faith in the system. <laughs> I mean it's it's true. I mean, let's be real. Do you think Matt Damon has the same career if he doesn't do Ocean's 11? No, absolutely not. Like that's the thing. Yeah. So I do think that's a bi- that's a big deal. You take that supporting role and that could lift you up to a, a new stratosphere. All right, last one. Give me, give me Oscar. I've got, I've got one in mind. I've got, I know who's the three that are sitting at, at the table in, in, in Stella's diner. Who you got? Okay, who, who's, who do you have? I don't have anyone for Oscar right now. I've got, you walk, you walk into this diner. You got Bradley Cooper. You got Will Smith. You got Pedro Pascal sitting around shooting the shit over a <laughs> slice of pie. I kind of love that. I really love that. in humid Florida. You know, just like. So we so we so we're saying we got Bradley Cooper as Ned. We have Kira Knightley as Maddie. Um we have Will Smith as Lowenstein. We have Will Poulter as Teddy and we have Pedro Pascal as Oscar. Yeah. I like that. That yeah, that's that's for sure a 9 million dollar movie right there. That's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sure. 9, 9 million. million. And you know what? Just to throw in <laughs> since we're talking people who like doing fun little parts, uh Ned here's all about Maddie's husband, how he's he's a small little man. Oh, he's he was the husband. Weak, shows up to the restaurant, runs into Maddie. She's like, "Oh, come sit with me and my husband." Boom, Tom Cruise. <laughs> I was thinking Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt. It's one of the two. Ooh, Brad, I, Brad Pitt might be too <laughs> too on the nose. Like, holy shit, this guy is insanely handsome. <laughs> not just Tom oh, Cruise. I'm not... not saying you're not insanely handsome. I just think you're a little bit more. Oh, she's not. She's she's not leaving me for this guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tom Cruise, you're <laughs> a little bit more approachable. Me. To be honest, if I'm if I'm saying that's the thing. <laughs> If I saw you on the street, I'd more likely stare at you and not look away from how like attractive you are. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm not saying you're um... unattractive, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Please don't take it that way. Okay, well that's that's a good cast. I that's like a it. really good cast. I'd watch it. Lawrence casting. Come back to to remake this. All right, we've we've touched on this a little bit, but does this fit in with any other genres than neo noir? I mean, we said erotic thrillers. I think yeah. it fits perfectly into that and that genre. This is the Godfather of, of erotic thrillers. Yeah, it really is. Um, and we never really discussed this in this episode, but the big thing about noir, especially in the 40s, because of the production code, the big thing was dialogue and things were used as a way to um, uh, to hide sexual actions or sex acts and to hide violence in some way. And this movie is what's so unique is because it puts it to the forefront and sex is a big part and you're seeing at least you're seeing some sensual acts of some kind in the movie. And that's what kind of brings in the whole erotic thriller nature of it. Uh, it, it is erotic in some way, especially for the time. Um, but yeah, I think it fits in the rock thriller. I think it fits in the neo-noir for sure. Um, I, I don't know if there was, I mean, is this a small town movie? That's one question I, I was thinking about. Uh, I don't know. I feel like the cast would need to be a, a little bit larger. You know, we don't, we don't get a lot of that okay. like local flavor. I do think it's funny. I I like didn't even make this connection until I sat down to rewatch this for the episode that uh my two picks for Noir Vember and Neo Noir have both been Florida Noir. That's what yeah, that's why I think I said last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're both Florida Noir. Maybe I like Florida. I don't know. I, apparently apparently that's what we gotta write next. We gotta write a good Florida Noir. I feel, I feel like in the age of Florida man, the Florida Noir isn't as effective. <laughs> you know? It used to be this thing like, oh, know. Florida's so quiet and it's just beaches and now now we know the truth. You know, there's like guys <laughs> eating people's faces in Florida and we're like, oh, okay, that's all right, so to wrap everything up, 
we've we've touched on it all but hit the bullet points yeah, yeah, yeah. how does this fit into the neo-noir genre well like as as we said like it's it's a movie that wears its noir uh influences on its sleeve and is very aware of them and but it does it in a way where it takes those tropes and those stories and it changes them up enough for a modern audience and then for a modern context like instead of the woman getting her come the femme the femme fatale getting her comeuppance at the end of the movie uh the femme fatale gets away and succeeds with her plan and it's the man who goes to jail and he gets his comeuppance for being just a dumb dude <laughs> um and it, it takes the, like it briefly it takes the idea of like urban decay of this early in this like small uh florida town and it really just it uses i mean it uses and in a way too it uses kind of something sim- similar um uh visual styles in terms of like the haze and the smoke because noir we didn't really talk about this but noir is very smoke heavy and it's kind of cinematography and it's very present in this movie where a lot of characters are smoking in these in- indoor areas that give the movie a very hazy quality um so yeah the score specifically fits into the neo-noir genre or noir and neo-noir genre um but yeah i think the base the big thing is that it's able to take a noir structure and a noir storyline and put it in a modern context for a modern audience. Yeah. Like you said, it, it it is able to just kind of thumb its nose at the Hayes code and go like, here's here. We're going to show you everything that, that we were talking about. Here's what about. you've been wanting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's what you've been wanting. Um, and yeah. And that's, that's, that's kind of what we talked about with Kasdan and, and his approach to a lot of things is, is, to put some storytelling twists on these older things, but to also use the technology and the storytelling that is at his fingertips years later and, and, and put his own twist on these movies that he grew up loving. And and I think this one does, does it very well. And it, it updates the noir genre while also launching the erotic thriller genre, which was an, uh, an extremely prolific genre in the 1980s like it really was there were you know fatal attraction basic instinct body double all this stuff was 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 huge in the 80s yeah go, and it goes in the 90s i mean i think we've discussed it at some point in the near future we're going to do an rock thriller month which will be interesting for sure um but yeah it definitely kind of spawned that um it what, with what you're talking about with casden because i've never really thought about it of how casden how Kasdan uh, takes his genre and puts it in a modern context. We've talked about it with writers for sure, like in private, but it makes me reevaluate Continental Divide. And I've never seen Silverado, which was his Western mm-hmm. that he did. And it makes me wonder to see how that holds up in terms of like a modern, like 80s Western. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. And he, he made a movie that I remember like liking, but I haven't seen in years was Grand Canyon, which is another one of his ensemble uh pieces i feel like it might be a little dated if i'm not mistaken but um but no yeah it's interesting you saying how he plays with he doesn't he's not subversive with the genre like say altman might have been with long goodbye but he's aware that he needs to change it just a little bit to make it new Mm -hmm. yeah exactly well great is that it on body heat that is is all we have well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys go and watch Body Heat if you haven't already, or if you have, go rewatch it. Um, but that's all we have for you on this episode. And if you haven't already, 
Make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're on. And if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And next week, I'll be joined by our very our old podcast partner, Ben Gertz. We'll be talking about Brick, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and directed and written by Ryan Johnson. I know Thomas is upset. Ryan Johnson? You mean Ruin Johnson? Have you seen Brick in a, like since since all the all the hate? No, I haven't. I haven't for... revisited Brick. I, I've, I've meant to. I've meant to go back. I, I, you know, I've meant to go back and just support Ryan Johnson. You know, I, I, I yeah. I daily every day when I wake up, I send my positive thoughts out to Ryan Johnson for <laughs> for enduring the hatred of the of the Star Wars fandom for this many years at this point. But um... I'm I'm excited to talk about Brick with Ben. Uh, it's one of the few movies that Ben has ever seen more than twice. <laughs> so it's going to be a great episode. But guys, thank you so much. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Yeah, this was a blast. And everyone else, thank you for listening. Until next time, bye. Bye.